Book 18, Chapter 6, Part 2 of the Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicola K. The Antiquities of the Jews, Volume 4 by Flavius Josephus, translated by William Whiston, Book 18, Chapter 6, Part 2. On this account it was that Eutychus could not obtain a hearing, but was kept still in prison. However, some time afterward Tiberius came from Capriae to Tusculanum, which is about a hundred furlongs from Rome. Agrippa then desired of Antonia that she would procure a hearing for Eutychus, let the matter whereof he accused him prove what it would. Now Antonia was greatly esteemed by Tiberius on all accounts, from the dignity of her relation to him, who had been his brother Drusus's wife, and from her eminent chastity. For though she was still a young woman, she continued in her widowhood, and refused all other matches although Augustus had enjoined her to be married to somebody else. Yet did she all along preserve her reputation free from reproach. She had also been the greatest benefactress to Tiberius, when there was a very dangerous plot laid against him by Sejanus, a man who had been her husband's friend, and who had the greatest authority, because he was general of the army, and when many members of the senate and many of the freedmen joined with him, and the soldiery was corrupted, and the plot was come to a great height. Now Sejanus had certainly gained his point, had not Antonia's boldness been more wisely conducted than Sejanus's malice. For when she had discovered his designs against Tiberius, she wrote him an exact account of the whole, and gave the letter to Pallas, the most faithful of her servants, and sent him to Caprere, to Tiberius, who, when he understood it, slew Sejanus and his confederates, so that Tiberius, who had her in great esteem before, now looked upon her with still greater respect, and depended upon her in all things. So when Tiberius was desired by this Antonia to examine Eutychus, he answered, If indeed Eutychus hath falsely accused Agrippa in what he hath said of him, he hath had sufficient punishment by what I have done to him already. But if upon examination the accusation appears to be true, let Agrippa have a care, lest out of desire of punishing his freedman, he do not rather bring a punishment upon himself. Now when Antonia told Agrippa of this, he was still much more pressing that the matter might be examined into. So Antonia, upon Agrippa's lying hard at her continually to beg this favor, took the following opportunity. As Tiberius lay once at his ease upon his sedan, and was carried about, and Caius her grandson and Agrippa were before him after dinner, she walked by the sedan, and desired him to call Eutychus, and have him examined. To which he replied, O Antonia, the gods are my witnesses that I am induced to do what I am going to do, not by my own inclination, but because I am forced to it by thy prayers. 
When he had said this, he ordered Macro, who succeeded Sejanus, to bring Eutychus to him. Accordingly, without any delay, he was brought. Then Tiberius asked him what he had to say against a man who had given him his liberty. Upon which he said, O my lord, this Caius and Agrippa with him were once riding in a chariot when I sat at their feet, and among other discourses that passed, Agrippa said to Caius, O that the day would once come when this old fellow will die, and name thee for the governor of the habitable earth. For then this Tiberius, his grandson, would be no hindrance, but would be taken off by thee, and that earth would be happy, and I happy also. Now Tiberius took these to be truly Agrippa's words, and bearing a grudge withal at Agrippa, because when he had commanded him to pay his respects to Tiberius, his grandson, and the son of Drusus, Agrippa had not paid him that respect, but had disobeyed his commands, and transferred all his regard to Caius. He said to Macro, Bind this man. But Macro, not distinctly knowing which of them it was whom he bid him bind, and not expecting that he would have any such thing done to Agrippa, he forbore, and came to ask more distinctly what it was that he said. But when Caesar had gone round the Hippodrome, he found Agrippa standing. For certain, said he, Macro, this is the man I meant to have bound. And when he still asked, Which of these is to be bound? He said, Agrippa. Upon which Agrippa betook himself to make supplication for himself putting him in mind of his son with whom he was brought up and of tiberius his grandson whom he had educated but all to no purpose for they led him about bound even in his purple garments it was also very hot weather and they had but little wine to their meal so that he was very thirsty he was also in a sort of agony and took this treatment of him heinously as he therefore saw one of Caius's slaves, whose name was Thaumastus, carrying some water in a vessel, he desired that he would let him drink. So the servant gave him some water to drink, and he drank heartily and said, O thou boy, this service of thine to me will be for thy advantage, for if I once get clear of these my bonds, I will soon procure thee thy freedom of Caius, who has not been wanting to minister to me, now I am in bonds, in the same manner as when I was in my former state and dignity. Nor did he deceive him in what he promised him, but made him amends for what he had now done. For when afterward Agrippa was come to the kingdom, he took particular care of Thaumastus, and got him his liberty from Caius and made him the steward over his own estate. And when he died, he left him to Agrippa his son, and to Bernice his daughter, to minister to them in the same capacity. The man also grew old in that honorable post, and therein died. But all this happened a good while later. Now Agrippa stood in his bonds before the royal palace, and leaned on a certain tree for grief, with many others, who were in bonds also. And as a certain bird sat upon the tree on which Agrippa leaned, the Romans called this bird Bubo, an owl. One of those that were bound, a German by nation, saw him, and asked a soldier who that man in purple was. And when he was informed that his name was Agrippa, and that he was by nation a Jew, and one of the principal men of that nation, 
he asked leave of the soldier to whom he was bound to let him come nearer to him to speak with him for that he had a mind to inquire of him about some things relating to his country which liberty when he had obtained and as he stood near him he said thus to him by an interpreter this sudden change of thy condition o young man is grievous to thee as bringing on thee a manifold and very great adversity nor wilt thou believe me when i foretell how thou wilt get clear of this misery which thou art now under and how divine providence will provide for thee know therefore and i appeal to my own country gods as well as to the gods of this place who have awarded these bonds to us that all i am going to say about thy concerns shall neither be said for favour nor bribery nor out of an endeavour to make thee cheerful without cause for such predictions when they come to fail make the grief at last and in earnest more bitter than if the party had never heard of any such thing however though i run the hazard of my own self i think it fit to declare to thee the prediction of the gods it cannot be that thou shouldst long continue in these bonds but thou wilt soon be delivered from them and wilt be promoted to the highest dignity and power and thou wilt be envied by all those who now pity thy hard fortune and thou wilt be happy till thy death and wilt leave thine happiness to the children whom thou shalt have but do thou remember when thou seest this bird again that thou wilt then live but five days longer this event will be brought to pass by that god who hath sent this bird hither to be a sign unto thee and i cannot but think it unjust to conceal from thee what i foreknow concerning thee that by thy knowing beforehand what happiness is coming upon thee thou mayest not regard thy present misfortunes but when this happiness shall actually befall thee do not forget what misery i am in myself but endeavour to deliver me so when the german had said this he made agrippa laugh at him as much as he afterwards appeared worthy of admiration but now antonia took agrippa's misfortune to heart however to speak to tiberius on his behalf she took to be a very difficult thing and indeed quite impracticable as to any hope of success yet did she procure of macro that the soldiers that kept him should be of a gentle nature and that the centurion who was over them and was to diet with him should be of the same disposition and that he might have leave to bathe himself every day and that his freedmen and friends might come to him and that other things that tended to ease him might be indulged him so his friend silas came in to him and two of his freedmen marcius and stichus brought him such sorts of food as he was fond of and indeed took great care of him they also brought him garments under pretense of selling them and when night came on they laid them under him and the soldiers assisted them as macro had given them order to do beforehand and this was agrippa's condition for six months time and in this case were his affairs but for tiberius upon his return to caprian he fell sick at first his distemper was but gentle but as that distemper increased upon him he had small or no hopes of recovery hereupon he bid euodus who was that freedman whom he most of all respected to bring the children to him for that he wanted to talk to them before he died now he had at present no sons of his own alive for drusus who was his only son was dead 
but Drusus's son Tiberius was still living, whose additional name was Gemellus. There was also living Caius, the son of Germanicus, who was the son of his brother Drusus. He was now grown up and had a liberal education, and was well improved by it, and was in esteem and favor with the people, on account of the excellent character of his father Germanicus, who had attained the highest honor among the multitude, by the firmness of his virtuous behavior, by the easiness and agreeableness of his conversing with the multitude, and because the dignity he was in did not hinder his familiarity with them all as if they were his equals, by which behavior he was not only greatly esteemed by the people and the senate, but by every one of those nations that were subject to the Romans, some of which were affected when they came to him, with the gracefulness of their reception by him, and others were affected in the same manner by the report of the others that had been with him, and upon his death there was a lamentation made by all men, not such a one as was to be made in way of flattery to their rulers, while they did but counterfeit sorrow, but such as was real, while everybody grieved at his death, as if they had lost one that was near to them. And truly such had been his easy conversation with men, that it turned greatly to the advantage of his son among all and among others the soldiery were so peculiarly affected to him that they reckoned it an eligible thing if need were to die themselves if he might but attain to the government but when tiberius had given order to euodus to bring the children to him the next day in the morning he prayed to his country gods to show him a manifest signal which of those children should come to the government being very desirous to leave it to his son's son, but still depending upon what God should foreshow concerning them more than upon his own opinion and inclination. So he made this to be the omen, that the government should be left to him who should come to him first the next day. When he had thus resolved within himself, he sent to his grandson's tutor, and ordered him to bring the child to him early in the morning as supposing that God would permit him to be made emperor. But God proved opposite to his designation. For while Tiberius was thus contriving matters, and as soon as it was at all day, he bid Euodus to call in that child which should be there ready. So he went out and found Caius before the door, for Tiberius was not yet come, but stayed waiting for his breakfast for Euodus knew nothing of what his lord intended. So he said to Caius, Thy father calls thee, and then brought him in. As soon as Tiberius saw Caius, and not before, he reflected on the power of God, and how the ability of bestowing the government on whom he would was entirely taken from him. And thence he was not able to establish what he had intended. So he greatly lamented that his power of establishing what he had before contrived was taken from him, and that his grandson Tiberius was not only to lose the Roman Empire by his fatality, but his own safety also, because his preservation would now depend upon such as would be more potent than himself, who would think it a thing not to be born, that a kinsman should live with them, and so his relation would not be able to protect him. 
but he would be feared and hated by him who had the supreme authority partly on account of his being next to the empire and partly on account of his perpetually contriving to get the government both in order to preserve himself and to be at the head of affairs also now tiberius had been very much given to astrology and the calculation of nativities and had spent his life in the esteem of what predictions had proved true more than those who profession it was accordingly when he once saw galba coming to him he said to his most intimate friends that there came in a man that would one day have the dignity of the roman empire so that this tiberius was more addicted to all such sorts of diviners than any other of the roman emperors because he had found them to have told him truth in his own affairs and indeed he was now in great distress upon this accident that had befallen him and was very much grieved at the destruction of his son's son which he foresaw and complained of himself that he should have made use of such a method of divination beforehand while it was in his power to have died without grief by this knowledge of futurity whereas he was now tormented by his foreknowledge of the misfortune of such as were dearest to him and must die under that torment now although he was disordered at this unexpected revolution of the government to those for whom he did not intend it he spake thus to Caius, though unwillingly, and against his own inclination. O child, although Tiberius be nearer related to me than thou art, I by my own determination and the conspiring suffrage of the gods to give and put into thy hand the Roman Empire, and I desire thee never to be unmindful when thou comest to it, either of my kindness to thee, who set thee in so high a dignity, or of thy relation to Tiberius. But as thou knowest that I am, together with and after the gods, the procurer of so great happiness to thee, so I desire that thou wilt make me a return for my readiness to assist thee, and wilt take care of Tiberius because of his near relation to thee. Besides which, thou art to know that while Tiberius is alive, he will be a security to thee, both as to empire and as to thy own preservation but if he die that will be but a prelude to thy own misfortunes for to be alone under the weight of such vast affairs is very dangerous nor will the gods suffer those actions which are unjustly done contrary to that law which directs men to act otherwise to go off unpunished this was the speech which tiberius made which did not persuade caius to act accordingly although he promised to do so but when he was settled in the government he took off this tiberius as was predicted by the other tiberius as he was also himself in no long time afterward slain by a secret plot against him so when tiberius had at this time appointed caius to be his successor he outlived but a few days and then died after he had held the government twenty-two years five months and three days now Caius was the fourth emperor. But when the Romans understood that Tiberius was dead, they rejoiced at the good news, but had not courage to believe it. Not because they were unwilling it should be true, for they would have given huge sums of money that it might be so, but because they were afraid that if they had showed their joy when the news proved false, 
their joy should be openly known, and they should be accused for it, and be thereby undone. For this Tiberius had brought a vast number of miseries on the best families of the Romans, since he was easily inflamed with passion in all cases, and was of such a temper as rendered his anger irrevocable, till he had executed the same, although he had taken a hatred against men without reason, for he was by nature fierce in all the sentences he gave, and made death the penalty for the lightest offenses, insomuch that when the Romans heard the rumor about his death gladly, they were restrained from the enjoyment of that pleasure by the dread of such miseries as they foresaw would follow, if their hopes proved ill-grounded. Now Marcius, Agrippa's freed man, as soon as he heard of Tiberius's death, came running to tell Agrippa the news, and finding him going out to the bath, he gave him a nod and said in the Hebrew tongue, The lion is dead, who, understanding his meaning, and being overjoyed at the news, Nay, said he, but all sorts of thanks and happiness attend thee for this news of thine. Only I wish that what thou sayest may prove true. Now the centurion who was set to keep Agrippa, when he saw with what haste Marcius came, and what joy Agrippa had from what he said, he had a suspicion that his words implied some great innovation of affairs, and he asked them about what was said. They at first diverted the discourse, but upon his further pressing, Agrippa, without more ado, told him, for he was already become his friend. So he joined with him in that pleasure which this news occasioned, because it would be fortunate to Agrippa, and made him a supper. But as they were feasting, the cups went about, there came one who said that Tiberius was still alive, and would return to the city ill a few days at which news the centurion was exceedingly troubled, because he had done what might cost him his life, to have treated so joyfully a prisoner, and this upon the news of the death of Caesar. So he thrust Agrippa from the couch whereon he lay, and said, Dost thou think to cheat me by a lie about the emperor without punishment? And shalt not thou pay for this thy malicious report at the price of thine head? When he had so said, he ordered Agrippa to be bound again for he had loosed him before, and kept a severer guard over him than formerly, and in that evil condition was Agrippa that night. But the next day the rumor increased in the city, and confirmed the news that Tiberius was certainly dead. Insomuch that men durst now openly and freely talk about it, nay, some offered sacrifices on that account. Several letters also came from Caius, one of them to the senate which informed them of the death of Tiberius and of his own entrance on the government, another to Piso, the governor of the city, which told him the same thing. He also gave order that Agrippa should be removed out of the camp and go to that house where he lived before he was put in prison, so that he was now out of fear as to his own affairs. For although he was still in custody, yet it was now with ease to his own affairs. Now as soon as Caius was come to Rome, and had brought Tiberius's dead body with him, and had made a sumptuous funeral for him, according to the laws of his country, he was much disposed to set Agrippa at liberty that very day. But Antonia hindered him. 
not out of any ill will to the prisoner, but out of regard to decency in Caius, lest that should make men believe that he received the death of Tiberius with pleasure, when he loosed one whom he had bound immediately. However, there did not many days pass ere he sent for him to his house, and had him shaved, and made him change his raiment after which he put a diadem upon his head and appointed him to be king of the tetrarchy of philip he also gave him the tetrarchy of lysanias and changed his iron chain for a golden one of equal weight he also sent marullus to be procurator of judea now in the second year of the reign of caius caesar agrippa desired leave to be given him to sail home and settle the affairs of his government and he promised to return again when he had put the rest in order as it ought to be put so upon the emperor's permission he came into his own country and appeared to them all unexpectedly as asking and thereby demonstrated to the men that saw him the power of fortune when they compared his former poverty with his present happy affluence so some called him a happy man and others could not well believe that things were so much changed with him for the better. End of Book 18 Chapter 6 Part 2 Recording by Nicola Kay